Welcome to the Covenant Journey Podcast. We hope to inform, inspire, and encourage you to deepen your faith, knowledge, and love of our Lord Jesus as we explore the timeless treasures of the Bible. Join us now as we explore God's Word. On today's Covenant Journey Bible Podcast, we're going to begin a series called A Journey Through the Holy Land. I'm Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Covenant Journey. To begin our journey through the Holy Land, let's begin in Capernaum. Capernaum is a place where Jesus performed most of his ministry. Now, certainly we could begin in Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, or in Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. But we'll actually talk about Nazareth a little bit later in this program. I want to begin primarily where his ministry really was primarily focused. Capernaum is a small fishing village situated on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was at Capernaum where Jesus began his ministry. You can read about that in Mark chapter 1, and you can read about that in other parts of the Gospels as well. He taught in the synagogue at Capernaum, and frankly in Capernaum where we visit as part of our covenant journey, Tours of the Holy Land, there is a synagogue that is still situated there. The one that you actually see was built on top of the one that Jesus actually visited. So this is a synagogue in which Jesus literally visited right there in this place called Capernaum. Capernaum is an amazing location because it is situated right on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, or Lake Gennesaret, as it's sometimes referred to. The Sea of Galilee is actually a large lake, but in the Hebrew or in the Greek, oftentimes it's referred to or the word is used as a sea. And in this particular case, it is the biggest body of fresh water in all of the area. A number of tributaries actually feed this Sea of Galilee, and that water then flows south from the Sea of Galilee, and that is the Jordan River. The Jordan River is literally fed by water that begins here at the Sea of Galilee. This is a place, because of this large body of water, it is a great location for fishing. And this was a place where Jesus performed most or many of his miracles. He essentially was based in this general location. So when we go to Israel, we begin our journey where the ministry of Jesus began. Capernaum was also the site of a house where Peter's mother-in-law lived. And if you remember, there was a healing in Capernaum of Peter's mother-in-law. It's actually in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 14 through 15. You remember the story where Peter's mother-in-law was very sick with a very high fever. In the Greek, it talks about the fever being fiery. So it was a high-level fever. She was not well at all. And Jesus goes in there, and he heals her, and immediately she gets up, is completely well, and she begins to minister to Jesus and the other disciples and make them dinner, food to eat. And that is one of those miracle stories right there in Capernaum. Now, before we talk about other things that actually happened in Capernaum, one of the things that, that we say is you're standing in the place of a miracle. This is a place of a miracle. 
And sometimes we see miracles or we experience miracles, and we may not recognize them as a miracle. But we'll come back to that in just a minute. Why is this place, why do I say that they're standing in the place of a miracle? Well, it goes along with many of the miracles that Jesus performed. He not only healed Peter's mother-in-law there in Capernaum, but there he called his first disciples, including Peter and Andrew, Matthew, James, and John. Capernaum became the very base or the headquarters, if you will, of the ministry of Jesus. He performed a wide variety of miracles, including healing the servant of the Roman centurion. This was a person who was in the Roman military, and he had a servant that he was fond of, and the servant was deathly ill. And Jesus, by simply a word, healed this person's servant. And also he healed the paralyzed man. You remember that story where the paralyzed man was actually being lowered through the roof by his four friends. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, 14 through 17, and others have many of these additional miracles that Jesus performed. You can read more miracles in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, and Mark chapter 1, and Mark chapter 2. Many miracles Jesus performed in this area. But this particular one was, this individual had heard about Jesus, and his friends had heard about him. They heard about the many miracles that had been happening in the ministry of Jesus, how people were literally being miraculously healed. This man was paralyzed, unable to walk. And so they wanted to take this man to Jesus, but they couldn't get into the house because the crowd was too jammed. And obviously it wasn't just one person walking through a big crowd, but a couple of people, probably four people, or at least two people minimum, carrying a person on a mat. They couldn't get through. So they ended up climbing on top of the roof. They had to obviously be able to take this man up on top of the roof. And then while they got on top of the roof, they began to literally dismantle the roof, taking the shingles off the roof, if you will. And no doubt, as they're doing that, people around Jesus see what's happening with the roof coming apart. It's unbelievable. Not sure what the actual owner of the house thought about this. I'm sure he wasn't all that pleased. But they made a big enough opening in the roof, and they lowered this man down so that the person came to the very presence of Jesus. Jesus healed this man, and the man was able to walk. Capernaum was situated in a perfect place. If you want to create a city or a town, you need two things. One, you need access. You need some kind of road to get there. You need some kind of ability to access that location. Well, Capernaum was located right on a major thoroughfare. It was a place for commerce and trade. And that is why Matthew, the tax collector, was there. Because he was in Capernaum to be able to, to collect the taxes or the commerce or the fees of people who were going down that highway, eventually crossing over the Jordan into the other side. That was a place of commerce. It was a place that easily had access, and thus the reason why Matthew was there. Matthew was a tax collector. It is Matthew the tax collector that Jesus ultimately met 
in Capernaum. And Matthew then became one of his disciples. Peter and Andrew, James and John, they were there because they were fishermen. They made their livelihood off of the Sea of Galilee. And so they were there fishing. You remember the story about Jesus telling Peter that if he follows him, he'll make him a fisher of men. Peter and Andrew, James and John, and other fishermen followed Jesus. So the second thing that you need, in addition to access, and that's clearly there, and the reason why Matthew was there, is a body of water. And that's why Peter and Andrew and James and John and the other fishermen were there as well. So you had both. You had the largest freshwater body in all of the area. You had a very well-traveled road that goes right by the town of Capernaum. If you're going to make a town, that's the location you want, access and water. Obviously, the water then allows you to not only have fish, but it allows you to irrigate, and you can have crops and so forth. And the place around there is luscious with green. So it's in a very ideal location. But Jesus then had some harsh words for Capernaum and a couple of other surrounding cities. He did all of these miracles there, and obviously many people followed him as a result of his miracles and as a result of his teachings. It is here in Capernaum on the shores of the Sea of Galilee in that geographical region where he did the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, all the way through chapter 7. And he did many other teachings. It is here where, uh, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he fed the 5,000. It was on the opposite shore of the Sea of Galilee, he fed the 4,000. The 5,000 was feeding those who were Jewish, thus the reason for taking up 12 baskets of fragments of bread and fish after feeding everyone. And then on the other side, where the Gentiles were located, he fed the 4,000. And we're talking about 4,000, not counting children and women. 5,000, not counting children and women. So the crowds were large. There, they took up seven baskets. And the reason for that is because they were Gentiles, not 12 for the 12 tribes of Israel, but seven for the seven days of creation and seven also for the seven nations that opposed the nation of Israel as they came to the promised land. Lots and lots of miracles. It's here in Capernaum where he was in the boat. And there's two different stories of this. One in which he was in the boat and sleeping, and a storm came up. And the disciples are struggling for their lives, and they wake him up. Are you not concerned for us? We're about ready to die. And Jesus rebukes the wind, and he rebukes the waves, and there's immediate calm, and the disciples are astounded. The other is after feeding the 5,000, Jesus goes up into the mountain and prays, and he sends his disciples to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Nightfall has already happened. Jesus prays for hours and hours. And finally, in the fourth watch of the night, around 3 o'clock in the morning, or sometime shortly thereafter, 3 to 6 a.m. in the morning, Jesus comes walking on the water. It's at that time the waves have become very violent, and the disciples have been trying to get to shore, but they haven't been able to do so. They are about to die, and they see Jesus walking on the water. And that's the story where Peter says, if it is you, command me to walk on the water, and Jesus commands him to come. 
Peter walks on the water, and he ultimately begins to look at the waves rather than Jesus, and he sinks, and Jesus reaches down, grabs him, saves him, and says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He gets into the boat, and the waters calm down. Lots and lots of incredible miracles happened in this area. So then when you go to Matthew chapter 11, and this kind of wraps up where we began, that you're standing in the midst of a miracle, Matthew chapter 11, and it begins in verse 20. Then he began, speaking of Jesus, to denounce the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! Both of these, by the way, are nearby Capernaum. For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which were done in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. You Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, you will go down to Hades. For if the mighty works had been done in Sodom, which were done in you, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Wow, all these miracles in Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin. What is their status today? They're near, they're by, they're accessible with this major highway. And they're there on the Sea of Galilee. If you go throughout Israel, you'll often find the ancient city and the modern city. You have this with Migdal. You have the ancient Migdal or Magdala where Mary Magdalene grew up. And then you have the more modern part of it. Migdal wasn't ultimately destroyed. You still have a modern portion of that. But Capernaum... Bethsaida and Chorazin, none of those exist today except in their ruins. None of them. And yet they're still accessible by the road. They're still right there by the Sea of Galilee. That's why I say sometimes we don't recognize miracles when we're right in the midst of a miracle or standing right on top of a miracle. So I tell people, you're standing on a miracle. This is a miracle. It is a miracle because it is the fulfillment of what Jesus prophesied. Now, it's easy for us now, looking back, to say, yes, Jesus predicted this, and here it is. It's destroyed. Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum, they're all destroyed. There's no modern version. They're just ancient ruins. But at the time of the disciples, think about this. And this is also true for the destruction of the temple. Jesus gave that prediction that the temple would be destroyed in the 30. 31 AD time frame. And that didn't happen for 40 years later until 70 AD. So most of those people that heard that prediction that the temple would be destroyed died without ever seeing that fulfillment of the prophecy. Now you go to Israel and it's exactly as Jesus said. The Roman armies encompassed the city. They destroyed the city. They threw all the stones down. There was not one stone left upon another. And you see it right now. It's easy for us to look back and say, yes, the prediction that Jesus said was true. But the same was also with Capernaum. In fact, none of the disciples saw the fulfillment of the destruction of Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin during their lifetime. 
unlike some of the disciples, saw the destruction of Jerusalem. Many people who heard it did not. Now we know it actually happened, as Jesus said. But none of the disciples saw the destruction of Capernaum, this place where Jesus performed all of his miracles, Bethsaida or Chorazin, because Capernaum continued to exist after they all died. In fact, it even expanded a little bit and grew a little bit in size after they died. But eventually it was destroyed and once and for all was never rebuilt, and that is the case today, 2,000 or so years later. The same is true with Chorazin and Bethsaida. So the point here is, one, you need to be cognizant of the miracles that oftentimes we take for granted. You can walk through this as though it's just a museum and not recognize the many miracles that literally happened there, but also the miracle that Jesus' words came true, and therefore no matter what happens, even if time doesn't permit you to see it, you know for a fact you can take it to the bank and it will happen. That's a miracle. But oftentimes you need to be aware, too, that when Jesus or the Scriptures say something, it may not happen in your particular chronological time. But that doesn't mean it's not true or it will never happen. If the Bible says so, and we emphasize this and we give illustrations of this over and over again when we tour the Holy Land, when Jesus says something, that not a stone will be left upon this temple, the Roman armies will encircle it and it'll all be destroyed. You can go to the bank that it is in fact going to happen, that is in fact true, despite what the naysayers say. It is a miracle, but it is the Word of God manifested now that we can see it in reality. So don't ever get confused with your chronological time and the fulfillment of the Word of God. Whatever is in the Word of God, it has been proven over and over and over again, is true, it will come to pass exactly as our Lord, exactly as the Word of God says it will. You can trust our Lord. You can trust the Word. I encourage you to immerse yourself into the Word as we take this journey through the Holy Land, because doing so brings the Bible to life. Immerse yourself in the Word of God. Study it every day. Pray. Listen to praise and worship music, and be around those who want to strengthen your faith and will pray for you in times of need. For more information, visit covenantjourney.org. You've been listening to the Covenant Journey podcast. We hope that we have informed, inspired, and encouraged you to deepen your faith, knowledge, and love for our Lord Jesus as we've explored the Word of God. Visit covenantjourney.org where you can obtain additional notes and information to enhance your study of the Scriptures. The website again is covenantjourney.org. You can also email us at cj at covenantjourney.org. Share this podcast with your friends. Visit covenantjourney.org.